Welcome back to another episode of the Resellers Mindset Podcast. My name is Mike, also known as the Used Book Guy on YouTube, along with my friend and fellow full-time reseller, Johnny B. We help people start and grow their reselling businesses from the ground up. We also have a weekly Zoom call and private Discord for all YouTube members. Head on over to youtube.com backslash usebookguy to join the channel and gain access to the full-length podcast, Zoom call, and private Discord today. Let's get into this week's episode. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Reseller's Mindset Podcast. Mike, alongside the beard, Johnny B. Will you ever shave that beard? Mm, I've been thinking about it lately. Oh, <laughs> he might be a changed man for those watching over on YouTube. I mean, I don't, I've never seen you beardless. So that would be, you know, uh, a crazy, maybe. I look like sight. I'm 20 years old if I shave it because this is where all my gray <laughs> is located. It's in the beard. So a little we're bit gonna, in the hair now. I'm starting to get a little in the hair, but yeah. We're going to be talking about re-examining your reselling business. And this is important. I'm not talking about maybe the overall, like, oh my God, I got to change everything about my business, but maybe revisiting things that you already have in your business, right? Like going back and repricing inventory, different types of things like that. It is super important, whether you sell on eBay or Amazon, to have these tasks in place. And I guess I'll kind of just start it off with Amazon. You have FBA, Amazon fulfills your items. And you have FBM, fulfilled by Mike, in my case, is I fulfill my items uh, for you, which is fulfilled by Merchant. You fulfill the orders that you get. And me and Johnny kind of came to this conclusion uh, probably over a year ago is you always want to go back and revisit things you have listed to see. Has something changed on that listing? Is this FBM item now good for FBA? Do we need to lower the price? Can we raise the price in a lot of situations? So we've, we thought to ourselves, what's a good time frame for an Amazon seller to go back and revisit their inventory that they have listed FBM? And we came to the conclusion about once every two months is probably a good time frame, depending on how large your inventory is. Because at the end of the day, Johnny's got thousands of books, right? It's not like, oh, I'm going to pop in for 15 minutes and go through all of these. This is for him. This is a week, two week task of yeah. slowly going back through everything. So it is important to revisit things here when it comes to Amazon. And uh, when it comes to eBay, Johnny, I know Johnny has a few things that he does. So I'm going to throw it over to him and he can give a little bit of insight on revisiting old things that he's done. Yeah, I mean, I've done a lot of well, let me try this. I've never done it before. Let me try that. I've never done it before. And then you kind of need to sit on those experiments for the more the more you sit on these experiments and let them run their course, the more accurate data you have. Now, on a shorter time scale, like a month, you can get some initial data in. But let's just say that was a bad month for that type of experiment, given the world at large or what the platform's doing as far as updates go. And it may not be as accurate. So the longer you give it, you can see the long-term effects of that experiment. Like even raising your listing goal is an experiment. You're not going to see the results of that for a very long time if you stay consistent with it. Um, some things that I've done this year is I've, I've tried lowering it to rock bottom to get a higher STR, which is just more turnover because if you sell enough, you get more money. I've tried it on the other end where I've raised them to, well, in some cases, 10 to 15 times more than what they're worth to see, okay, I'm selling less, but I'm getting about the same amount of money. That was the result of that experiment. But then again, you're storing this stuff and it just, it's just going to continue to build. Um, and then, um, where I initially started was I was kind of somewhere in the middle of these two. Um, 
So, and dialing the knob here, dialing the knob there until you've got it fully dialed in takes an exorbitant amount of time. It takes about two years to see everything. I don't think there's, unless eBay adds something in new, I don't think there's an experiment I can run right now that I have not tried. Um, it's tough because like what you said, you have to give something a real shot. Yeah. I think this this doesn't even just apply to reselling. I, I this is like one of my like life quotes, right? You can't really quit something if you never really gave it an actual shot. And an actual shot is actually doing everything you're supposed to do and giving it in a certain time frame. And it ain't no day, it ain't no week, it's not a month, especially with reselling. You have to give things a season. Give it three months, give it a serious shot. All right, you're going to make this change. I think what happens, I know, I don't think, I know what happens here is everybody needs the instant gratification. If I'm going to up my listings, Johnny, from five to 10, then I immediately better be selling double by the end of next week or this is stupid, right? That's that's the initial reaction you get from a lot of people. And I do think there is so much to be said about giving something the right amount of time to see if it actually works. Like even in promoted listings, I've cranked the knob on that hard. And I'll admit, I didn't like what I was seeing as far as dollars back. And I ended the experiment pretty soon, days, not even a week. And it was like, huh. So I'm getting a lot more traffic, but am I selling more? It wasn't looking that way. So I ended it pretty quickly. Also, the net dollars back wasn't that great. I mean, I did some number crunching before I pulled down that lever because that does affect my take-home money but uh actually seeing it the actual data not excel math data which is pretty accurate it was like eh, I'm weighing the outcomes i'm not really selling more it's not really worth doing um but i didn't give it a long enough shot to be fair um that was one of the experiments that i kind of wish i'd give it a little bit more time and i'll be fair i'll be fair to myself and like i didn't give it enough time i um i've had a few of those as well um lots of books I tried that route, lotting books up, different sets, yeah. buying every Harry Potter I see for under a buck at the thrift stores and building sets. I think there is a model where that can work, but for my specific business at that specific time, it's just not worth it, right? And I think this is kind of, you know, what's your time look like, right? Are you part-time? Are you full-time? What interests you? What are you seeing out in your stores, right? Because I can't all of a sudden want to be the lock guy if I'm never seeing Harry Potter's, uh, you know, Hunger Games books out there. I, As much as I want to be the lock guy, you have to play to what's available to you. You can't just magically all of a sudden, you know, I can't magically be the the video game guy because I don't have the video game. So, like, yeah. it's, it's one of those things. It's a balancing act where maybe something interests you. Maybe Maybe it's a different category altogether, right? Maybe I sell books. And I'm really into trading cards, right? I want to be a Pokemon seller. So where can you fit this into the business to where you're not taken away from the business that's actually working and making money? I think that's a huge thing because a lot of people are like, well, I want to try this. I want to do this. And I want to be uh, the Pokemon guy. And I want to be the sneaker guy. And I think what happens, you just become wishy-washy on everything. And then that's the end of you know the used book guy. Yeah, and uh, it even applies outside of like eBay and Amazon, like even my storefront. Uh, we were very, let's not organize a darn thing and let's let it rip. But I noticed if I take a few minutes here and there, or I have a volunteer use her time to organize a little bit, I get a prime example of this. We put all the Westerns together on a shelf once to see what happened. 
well, well, that day somebody put them all in a box and they walked out the store, which got me space, which I could put more desirable per item books out. But there's some labor that went into that. that. I think that's a big takeaway with me on the storefront. I know I'm only talking to one one hundredth of a percent of you out there, but um, you got to treat every aspect of your business with excellence, even the lowest profitable thing other than like cutting that lowest thing off entirely, getting rid of it. Um, but if, if you're making it part of your business model, you got to treat it all with excellence from the highest making thing to the lowest making thing, because the little things matter. Every step along the way that you put in to those things matter in the grand whole, because maybe one day this becomes more profitable than this thing over here if you put in the time today on it. Yeah, you waste more time doing things half ass too, right? Because yeah. I'm going to I'm going to test to this right now. Uh, anybody that knows me. I have the most pathetic eBay store uh, out there when it comes to, you know, probably any eBay seller that's on social media or YouTube that's got his, you know, 5,000 plus subscribers has a better eBay store than me. I'm, I'm perfectly fine with that. And what I realize is, Johnny, if I sit down and I say, I'm going to take today to do eBay, it's the most unrefined, slowest process. And it just, I, I finally realized this currently is a waste of my time. I can spend my time better in other places in my business and make money. Now, down the road, maybe something happens. Maybe I can revisit that. But if I can't sit down and dedicate the time to do it correctly, it just doesn't make sense to do it at all. Because what happens here? I agree with a, that. Yeah, it's a lot of reselling businesses. They don't do it right. And they just waste time. And all of a sudden, you know, you didn't do anything right. So you just wasted your time because if you don't do it right, it's not going to sell. It's not, you're never going to get the traffic, no matter how much you promote or this or that. So it was, you know, yeah. yeah I, mean, I mean, I can go over to Etsy right now and have a kick-ass Etsy store if I put in the time and did it right. That's the thing, doing it right in an exorbitant amount of time. Because Etsy's a lot of work to make that look right and to get customers. Um I have an easier life with eBay and Amazon than I would on Etsy. Because if I were to do Etsy full scale, full time, it would be, I, I would probably be going to bed at like 2 a.m. every night because you got to make the lots, you got to do the fancy packaging, got to do the fancy wording. You got to make it all look nice. Um, Etsy's a, I, I respect Etsy sellers a lot more. I know we kind of make fun of them from time to time, um, the community at large, but those guys work hard too. They really do. I don't think there's anything wrong with that style of business as long as that's what you're going to do with excellence, right? Yeah. If that's going to be the route you want to go, it's perfectly fine to, I guess this will kind of take us into like transforming your business almost into a completely different business. And this happens a lot, right? People start selling books and especially on Amazon, books are like the gateway drug. Everybody moves on from books to sell something else, right? And it's a, it can be the same with eBay. Maybe you start selling, you know, books and all of a sudden you're like, well, you know, I enjoy selling books, but I would really, really enjoy if I sold vintage T-shirts, if I sold, you know, lamps, something like that. And there is something to be said about just because you sell this thing today doesn't mean you can't change and become something else to, tomorrow, but you have to give yourself the transition period of, and this kind of goes for like being an eBay and Amazon seller, right? Or like going from one platform as your focus to the other. Yeah. You got to give yourself runway to get there. So you don't lose anything from the thing that's making you all the money today, but you're slowly growing this to replace this thing that you no longer want to do or the platform you no longer want to sell on. Right. I mean, even, even myself, I, I took a hard look over the last few months of, 
uh, the two platforms I'm on now, including the storefront. And we'll be making some changes over here on our end next year. It'll probably be more Amazon-focused than eBay-focused. I won't go into exact details on it, but knowing your numbers, I mean, we talk about that a lot, um, looking at it and the scalability of it. I know the scalability on eBay. I know it very well. I know the scalability on Amazon now that I've had a new data set. Now, Amazon could change the rules on us at any point, and then you make an adjustment, and then maybe, okay, Based off this adjustment, yes, we're keeping Amazon in, but we're going to put more of our efforts back on eBay. Um, and then next year is the reverse. So it, it's just kind of a uh, pendulum swinging effect kind of deal. And let, let's complicate things. Like, I mean, I've talked about going into Walmart. Um, so maybe Walmart's producing the most money after I've had some time. Again, time. This is all about a time game. To examine the numbers and what it's producing. Oh, Amazon was number one. Walmart's now number one to me, and eBay's at the bottom here. And then the next year, the musical chair effect happens. So you got to adjust with. I think it was actually Tech who said this, and he's like, "What platform is you? Are you making the most money on? That's where your most of your efforts should be going. You got to examine that. If you're making oh. more money on eBay, go to eBay." Yeah. And a lot of it, you know, really depends on what you sell. And I kind of took the approach of, yeah, I have an eBay store, but like I basically do the, uh, I send my stuff off to somebody else that thinks it's worth it to sell on eBay. And then I take a cut of that. So, yeah. um, you know, it's one of those things where there are ways where you can be involved in platforms and, you know, you just relationships, right? We always talk about this is, you know, transforming your business can also be based on you know, a relationship you find or come across, right? If all of a sudden I have this relationship with a, a recycling company and they say, I can get all the books I want for the rest of my life for two cents a pound. All of a sudden you got to step back and say, okay, I can get an infinite amount of these products, whether it's books, CDs, DVDs. Um, what sense does it make for me to change my business or pivot the way my business currently is. Maybe that's a price point, right? The big thing with eBay is we want to list things for me that are at least 20 bucks, right? I'm going to not list anything that's under $20. So maybe if you have this infinite amount of cheap books or even free books, you yeah. can lower that a little bit if you're fine with putting in the extra time on the back end, because as you lower that, you know, ASP, you're going to have more items that you're going to have to prep, list, customer service, pack and ship, so there are balances to kind of changing who your business is today into something else. So like, let's kind of go down a rabbit hole here, right? So you got to pivot out of books altogether, media altogether. Um, where are you going and how are you doing it? Um, so no, no books, no media. I would probably go, I wouldn't do clothes because even though that's in abundance. No, nah, I ain't doing clothes. No, no shot. I probably go something more uh, commodity based upper end, um, but it, it's still like desirable, like maybe mm, not antiques either. It, it, it would probably be the equivalent of like maybe I have a pocket watch seller, but my pocket watches are $200 ASP. I, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be doing the bulk game anymore. Uh, or maybe I am, and I still end up with a lot of junk watches. What do I do with those junk watch, junk pocket watches? Or maybe I go tools. Um, I know we have a tool, big tool time seller in our group, actually. Um, and maybe I'm just the tractor tool guy. I would go something higher end that people buy, but 
it's not everybody that buys those things. It's a smaller buying pool, but a bigger margin margin for those buyers. That's the route I'd probably end up going. Because right now I'm in the bulk game. I, I have low cost of goods, but my my rate of return is huge, huge. But I'd probably go the other end of the spectrum if I were to ha not have access to media anymore. So, so let's take a look at this, right? So you decide uh, starting in December, you're going to be the pocket watch guy. Sure. And he, all right, it's day one. So what does that look like for you as your transition begins, right? You're going to continue to do everything that you currently do in the book business. And now you have to find a way to fit in the pocket watch business. So just like, sure. what, what do you think you would do? Like if, if that was the real case scenario? Well, based off my book business, I know I've never seen a pocket watch outside of auction houses. So I would be going, I would be creating a list of auction houses and then seeing what's available to me right then, right there. Um, and then I, because I, of the book business, I would like look at lots online, uh, eBay lots or Macari lots or Etsy lots, whatever. I'm like, okay, if I'm paying up because I'm in the pocket watch game, I know I'm going to be paying up opposed to books. What do my margins need to look like? What do I need to clear? Is my goal to clear $50 every time or is my goal to clear 50% every time, 50% of what I put in? So basically, I, I would have to come up with an online Rolodex of sourcing uh, because it's no longer me going out to the thrift store. Because if you're finding pocket watches at thrift stores, I'm more power to you. And I, I'd like to know where those are. But I know I can't go out and get them. I have to order them. The inventory has to come to me in this scenario. Um Honestly, I might, this is going to sound horrible, but this is something I probably would do. I would call funeral homes. Like, what do they do with that stuff? The the leftover stuff or um, places that deal with dead people, uh, not necessarily funeral homes, the police stations and stuff, the lost and found stuff. What do you guys do with the pocket watches you come across? Does it go somewhere? Where does it go? So basically, I'd be, do, I'd be full on investigation mode because this is a new thing. They're not like books. They're the opposite of books. I think uh, I think you kind of hit it on the head. It's like if you have this idea of something you really want to do and switch your business to, you can spend the time today to get the knowledge and maybe iron out some of the logistics of maybe chasing this dream of selling in this category you're so passionately want to sell in. And this happens a lot because a lot of people start reselling. And like you said, maybe they do close. And then they realize I got to do all the measurements and things like this. And then they want to get out of clothes and they don't know where to yeah. go. I think do something that you're passionate about. It's going to be a lot easier and you're going to be a lot more motivated to sit down and gain the knowledge. You know, like if you're really into pocket watches, you don't have no problem, you know, looking up sold comps on eBay for pocket watches, going on the Internet, trying to find who's selling pocket watches. But if it's something you're not interested in, and I think this is super important, if you're going to pivot your business completely. It has to be something you're interested in, you yourself, right? Johnny can't tell me, Mike, I really like pocket watches. I think you can make a whole bunch of money. You should become the pocket watch guy. I'm going to tell Johnny to go pound sand and people should do the same. And I think, I, I know you see these other people, right? Vintage t-shirts, Johnny. Oh my God, there's so much money to be made. And they get in their head that, well, forget cleaning shoes and selling shoes. I want to do vintage t-shirts because look how much they're selling for. Yeah. That's not, you shouldn't base your decision based off of somebody else's successes 
and just especially the successes they're only showing on the internet. Like that's really, no matter what the business is, they're not showing you the downside of selling vintage t-shirts, selling books, selling stuff. That'd be fun. And I would have no way how to do it. How do I sell precious metals? Cause that price does not change. The listing price is what the listing price is. Um, well, well, I'm not going to say that it can go up and down based off the value of the precious metal. Um, if I sold platinum online or gold online or silver online, that would be amazing. But where the heck do I get that stuff? I have no idea. Well, I mean, an idea is going, getting all scrap stuff and melting it down to produce it myself. Sure. Or again, maybe I hit the auction houses and get all the little gold coins that aren't worth anything and melt them down to make gold bars. That's that's how I would right now today. That's my only idea of how to start a business like that. I think a lot of resellers, probably 90% of them, would be happy-go-lucky little bunny rabbits out in the field if they just sold stuff that they were passionate about. Yeah. Regardless of how the market was, the comments coming to hit the earth, the fees are going up. If you're really into what you sell, it's so much easier. And for me, right, because everybody's like, well, Mike, he don't even read books. Well, guess what? I really, I'm literally Mr. Krabs. I enjoy money. And if a book is going to make me the money and I can easily get them, they're in my area and I understand how the business works. That is my motivation, right? It's not so much the, uh, the oh, I'm really passionate about books. I'm an avid reader. If you are and you're selling books, you got one leg up on me because you're more motivated to go out and maybe find your, you know, a rare book that you want for yourself or you see cool books, signed books, things like that. You're definitely more, you should definitely be more motivated than me, who's just after the dollar, because this is something that interests you. No, I agree with that. I like books. I read books. Not every book I list, I like that book, but I do like books in general and I do read. And I agree with you. If I didn't do that, I probably wouldn't work the amount of hours. I would probably switch niches at this point if I wasn't into books. I really would. Yeah. I think everybody would be more happy if they just sold sold on a category they actually had some interest in and with anything right you know interests come and go in life right maybe you're really into this right now and you'll be into something else but we kind of just laid out the the plan for you you can always pivot your business as long as you do it the right way and understand everything that comes with it right so we have the experience of selling large amounts of books how does that translate to something else you put the same principles in place Understand it's going to be the same exact business, just a different type of product you're more passionate about. But you can't get blinded by the fact that just because you're passionate about something, you can make it into a business. That doesn't work 90% of the time. Just because you have this passion to, to cook egg sandwiches, you can't just go open a food truck and spend X amount of dollars and think you're going to be successful. It does not work like that, no matter how excited you are to sell something. Right. I mean, there there's a person that... I think you nailed it right there. There's a person that may have all the passion in the world, but they're not a business person. They don't know how to do business. It's like um, it's like somebody buying a stadium and trying to run a sports league. Uh, a lot of the time, they fail when they do that because uh, they 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 they're just passionate about that thing. They may, because they bought a stadium, they got some money behind it, so they they have some business knowledge, uh, but most of them don't do so well. Um, or it's like, um, I don't know, what was it? Michael Jordan going to play golf or baseball. I mean, he did all right, but he wasn't 
you try to translate he's an athlete doesn't mean he's an athlete in every sport. He is athletic, yes. I do think with these transitions you have on your mind or maybe you're thinking about switching categories today, I think it is super important that you cash flow that business from the current one you have. I don't think it's smart to all of a sudden tomorrow I want to be the pocket watch guy and I have a business line of credit that I'm going to take out to just jump headfirst into this whole new business because you think it's going to be successful as the one you have today. And I think a lot of people, you know, you could be misconstrued that, well, if I'm successful selling books, Johnny, then I can be just as successful or more successful selling sneakers because I love sneakers. I think that's 100% the trap. Yep. That's the trap you're going to fall into because you think you have success in one category and you can't just pivot and switch to something completely different. And especially depending on like what you're selling, right? Uh, My wife, Deb, she sells cat and dog toys on Etsy and Shopify. So she can't just wake up and decide that she's going to sell skunk toys, right? Like you have a customer base, you have built these processes specifically around this. You can't say, well, I'm going to take a loan and all of a sudden I'm going to be the skunk toy seller, right? It don't work like that. Right. I mean, going to shoes, man, that's a transition because there's cleaning. The photos are all different. If you're doing this on eBay, if you're doing on Amazon, whatever, I guess. Can you sell used shoes on Amazon or is it just new shoes? I think it's just new. Yeah, so there's no cleaning. So you're looking at online arbitrage or RA arbitrage at that point. Um, so do you have box stores you can go to to even do RA or not? Or Okay, so now you're in the OA game alone solely if you don't. And now you got to figure out how to source faster uh, and better than anybody else is doing OA shoes. How do you do that? So you get your little slice of the pie. I can tell you right now, me trying to do that today, like if I said, okay, no more books, I'm doing shoes, I would struggle. I would struggle hard for six months before I figured anything, got any competitive edge at all. I think the biggest takeaway that we talked about today is if you take your time in your transition and you see things aren't working, but you're still maintaining that main business, that gives you the opportunity to wash your hands and say, okay, this experiment was fun, Johnny. I tried it for two, three months, maybe even a month, maybe even two weeks, right? Maybe this person decides to sell shoes like you're saying, and they go buy a pallet of shoes, they get it home, and all of a sudden, they realize, I got to scrub, clean, wash these things, every single pair, and you quickly realize that this isn't going to be the life for me. By maintaining that business you originally had, you can easily walk yourself back and rethink maybe, okay, this was a mistake I made. I paid $300 cash. I'm out of that money. It was worth a shot to see if it was something I was into. But the problem is people don't look at it like that. They need to jump from books tonight to shoes tomorrow. There's no transition period of seeing if these experiments work. And I think like, it's so weird because if we look back, like me and you talking years ago, like we always had some kind of weird experiment going on in the oh, background, yeah. right? Like we always had to like- We used to oh, call each other like every other day. It was good. Like what 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 are we trying here? What are we trying different? How yeah. long are we going to give it? Um, and a or, lot of or the- I need that reality check from each other. That was another thing. Like, is this stupid? And I'd be like, yes. Or no, that's great. You should run with that. Yeah. Or, or if we're on the fence, we're like, well, give it a shot. See what happens over X amount of time. And then we can go from there. There never was something like, oh, I'm going to change all this overnight because I would say it was stupid. Or you'd be like, no, that's stupid. Don't do it. Why are you making such a rash change? But I think 
when people don't have the results they want, they're more inclined to just jump in sight unseen. Who knows if there are sharks in the in the ocean? I'm just going to jump in because I'm not getting the results I want. I do think that's wrong because you can revisit your business and tweak things. And all of a sudden, that same inventory you have sitting behind you on the shelf is now selling, right? So there, there's oh, yeah. a lot to be said about changing your current business versus trying to completely go to a new one and all of a sudden change your whole identity overnight. Right. Like my brick and mortar store. That was a huge experiment. Very great experiment. But if it didn't, if I didn't have good eBay inventory and good Amazon inventory walking in my door, probably on a daily basis, we're not talking truckloads. Well, sometimes we are, but not having truckloads of stuff dropped in every day, uh, I probably would have shut it down and like, okay, I'm getting my storage back. This didn't work. Nobody ever came in or I get one customer a week. Um, there are some issues going on with this experiment because I'm pretty sure more books are coming in than are leaving. So it's how do I make them leave on a, or a more frequent basis just because I have finite space. So it's either get another space or figure out how to make them leave. So, that, so current experiments can be tweaked to make the final experiment a uh, reality. Um, and again, that all comes with time and learning and um, trying new things out, failing at those new things and trying another new thing. The dumb, the dumb idiot Johnny B reseller in an alternate universe that wanted a storefront would have went down to the local town and rented out a retail space for $3,000 a month oh. for a three-year lease. That would have been the equivalent of what we're talking about, right? He said, okay, I have the space. How can I make this work in the current space that I have? How can I see if this actually makes sense, if I'm actually going to get results without spending you know, all this money? But the reality is most people are going to walk down downtown, rent out a space for three years, and then they're not even going to be able to cover the rent three months in, and you know that's the end of it. And you're I just think bleeding, like, you're bleeding yourself dry at that point. I mean, if this produced enough to war, if I had a standing line every morning when I roll up to the shop, which I don't, okay, maybe that retail space makes sense in alternate universe Johnny B number three. But number two and number one, no, well, number two tried it and he failed and he's out of business. Number one over here, he's in business still. Yeah. Number three, he's making Scrooge McDuck money. And I wish to be that guy. <laughs> you can always try to to find ways to implement your new ideas without putting everything on the line. You don't have to take these crazy risks to see if something works. Yeah. You know, you can easily try something on the side. And listen, if you're passionate about it, I say this all the time because uh, there's a lot of part-timers that either sink or swim. And I think the ones that swim are the ones that are, well, I want to get out of this job and I really enjoy what I do. So I have no problem after working a 10-hour day going to the thrift store or list, listing some items um, and the people that don't survive are the ones who are just like, well, I don't know. I really kind of just want to make a little bit of extra money. I really don't care what I sell if I don't sell anything. Like you have to be willing to, if you're passionate about it, you got to put in the time, right? I built this business up while I was at CBS, 50 plus hours a week. I got it to a point where I was making the same money reselling as I was at CVS. On the side, there was no five days a week going out and thrifting. This was, well, I just worked all day. Uh, let me see if I can talk Devin to actually go into the thrift store with me, even though I work 50 hours this week. So it's like, if you're really passionate about something, you can make it work. And that's how you kind of can tell if it's something you really want to do. 
Are you willing to put in the crappy hours, the crappy time, give up some of your free time? You know, maybe you don't watch Netflix, maybe you don't play as much video games, this or that. That's really going to be the test for you personally to see if this is something you really want. Right. I mean, I was running two businesses when I started eBay. And then once I figured out what I really want to do with eBay and I saw the money coming in and the compounding effect it had, I left my two other businesses. I could have stayed. I could. I was making good money. Um, and I took a little bit of a haircut when I started, but I quickly um, did not after a period of time. But I knew what it was doing, and it was repeatable. That was that was the key. It was repeatable. It wasn't a one one off month where I made a lot of money. It was several months before I made my decision to give my notices, essentially. All right, we're going to wrap it up here. I think the big takeaway is you can always reinvent yourself as a reseller, whether that means reinventing the current inventory you have or switching to a whole different category. There are ways you can get out of, you know, being down and about, maybe you don't enjoy what you're selling. You can transition to other categories. Just make sure you lay out the same plan that you had when you built your initial business up, right? How does it translate to that other business? What can I do? What kind of time frame? We talked about giving yourself a real shot. A week, a month is not a real shot at a new experiment. No matter what platform you're selling on, we're looking at three months, maybe even six months, depending on how crazy your idea is, to see if this makes sense. But you have to maintain your income over here before you jump over there. This still has to exist for you to be able to try this other thing out and try this other business. So as always, we appreciate you listening or if you're watching over on YouTube and we'll talk to you in next week's episode. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Resellers Mindset Podcast. Today's full episode and all previous episodes are available to all YouTube members along with the weekly Zoom call and private Discord. Head on over to youtube.com backslash the used book guy and consider joining for as little as $2.99 a month.